0: Chapter twenty three of Romance of the Forest This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org Recording by Lynn Thompson Romance of the Forest by Anne Radcliffe Chapter twenty three Quote Lo on his funeral couch he lies, no pitying heart. No eye afford a tear to grace his obsequies. End quote. Gray. On learning the purpose of madame de Lamotte's letter, Adeline saw the necessity of her immediate departure for Paris. The life of Lamotte, who had more than saved hers, the life perhaps of her beloved Theodore, depended on the testimony she should give, and she who had so lately been sinking under the influence of illness and despair, who could scarcely raise her languid head or speak but in the faintest accents now reanimated with hope and invigorated by a sense of the importance of the business before her prepared to perform a rapid journey of some hundred miles Theodore tenderly entreated that she would so far considered her health as to delay this journey for a few days but with a smile of enchanting tenderness she assured him that she was now too happy to be ill and that the same cause which would confirm her happiness would confirm her health so strong was the effect of hope upon her mind now that it succeeded to the misery of despair and it overcame the shock she suffered on believing herself a daughter of the Marquis and every other painful reflection she did not even foresee the obstacle that circumstance might produce to her union with Theodore should he at last be permitted to live it was settled that she should set off for paris in a few hours with louis and attended by peter these hours were passed by le luc and his family in the prison when the time for her departure arrived the spirits of adeline again forsook her and the illusions of joy disappeared she no longer beheld theodore as one respited from death but took leave of him with a mournful presentiment that she should see him no more so strongly was this presage impressed upon her mind that it was long before she could summons the resolution to bid him farewell and When she had done so and even left the apartment she returned to take of him a last look As she was once more quitting the room her melancholy imagination Represented Theodore at the place of execution pale and convulsed in death she again turned her lingering eyes upon him but fancy affected her sense for she thought as she now gazed that his countenance changed and assumed a ghastly hue all her resolution vanished and such was the anguish of her heart that she resolved to defer her journey till the morrow though she must by this means lose the protection of louis whose impatience to meet his father would not suffer the delay the triumph of passion however was transient soothed by the indulgence she promised herself her grief subsided reason resumed its influence she again saw the necessity of her immediate departure and recollected sufficient resolution to submit la luc would have accompanied her for the purpose of again soliciting the king in behalf of his son had not the extreme weakness and latitude to which he was reduced made travelling impracticable at length adeline with a heavy heart quitted theodore Notwithstanding his entreaties that she would not undertake the journey in her present weak state and was accompanied by Clara and La Luc to the inn, the former parted from her friend with many tears and much anxiety for her welfare, but under a hope of soon meeting her again, should a pardon be granted to Theodore, La Luc designed to fetch Adeline from Paris. But should this be refused, she was to return with Peter he bade her adieu with a father's kindness which she repaid with a filial affection and in her last words conjured him to attend to the recovery of his health the languid smile he assumed seemed to express that her solicitude was vain and that he thought his health past recovery thus adeline quitted the friends so justly dear to her and so lately found for paris where she was a stranger almost without protection and compelled to meet a father who had pursued her with the utmost cruelty in a public court of justice the carriage in leaving vasso Passed by the prison she threw an eager look towards it as she passed its heavy black walls the narrow grated windows seemed to frown upon her hopes But Theodore was there and leaning from the window She continued to gaze upon it till an abrupt turning in the street concealed it from her view She then sunk back in the carriage and yielding to the melancholy of her heart, wept in silence. Louis was not disposed to interrupt it; his thoughts were anxiously employed on his father's situation, and the travellers proceeded many miles without exchanging a word at Paris, whither we shall now return. The search after Jean d'oy was prosecuted without success. The house on the heath, described by Dubos was found uninhabited and to the places of his usual resort in the city, where the officers of the police awaited him, he no longer came. It even appeared doubtful whether he was living, for he had absented himself from the houses of his customary rendezvous some time before the trial of La Motte. It was therefore certain that his absence was not occasioned by anything which had passed in the courts. In the solitude of his confinement, the Marquis de Montau had leisure to reflect on the past and to repent of his crimes but reflection and repentance formed as yet no part of his disposition he turned with impatience from recollections which produced only pain and looked forward to the future with an endeavour to avert the disgrace and punishment which he saw impending the elegance of his manners had so effectually veiled the depravity of his heart that he was a favourite with his sovereign and on this circumstance he rested his hope of security. He, however, severely repented that he had indulged the hasty spirit of revenge which had urged him to the prosecution of Lamotte, and had thus unexpectedly involved him in a situation dangerous, if not fatal, since if Adeline could not be found, he would be concluded guilty of her death. But the appearance of Donoy was the circumstance he most dreaded, and to oppose the possibility of this he employed secret emissaries to discover his retreat and to bribe him in his interest. These were, however, as unsuccessful in their research as the officers of the police, and the marquis at length began to hope the man was really dead. Lamotte, meanwhile, awaited with trembling impatience the arrival of his son, when he should be relieved in some degree from his uncertainty concerning Adeline on his appearance he rested his only hope of life since the evidence against him would lose much of its validity from the confirmation she would give of the bad character of his prosecutor and if the parliament even condemned lamotte the clemency of the king might yet operate in his favour adeline arrived at paris after a journey of several days during which she was chiefly supported by the delicate attentions of louis whom she pitied and esteemed though she could not love she was immediately visited at the hotel by madame lamotte the meeting was affecting on both sides the sense of her past conduct excited in the latter an embarrassment which the delicacy of goodness of adeline would willingly have spared her but the pardon solicited was given with so much sincerity that madame gradually became composed and reassured this forgiveness however could not have been thus easily granted had adeline believed her former conduct was voluntary a conviction of the restraint and terror under which madame had acted alone induced her to excuse the past in this first meeting they forbore dwelling on particular subjects madame lamotte proposed that adeline should remove from the hotel to her lodgings near the chatelet and adeline for whom a residence at a public hotel was very improper gladly accepted the offer madame there gave her a circumstantial account of lamotte's situation and concluded with saying that as the sentence of her husband had been suspended till some certainty could be obtained concerning the late criminal designs of the marquis and as adeline could confirm the chief part of lamotte's testimony it was probable that now she was arrived the court would proceed immediately she now learnt the full extent of her obligation to lamotte for she was till now ignorant that when he sent her from the forest he saved her from death. Her horror of the Marquis, whom she could not bear to consider as her father, and her gratitude to her deliverer redoubled, and she became impatient to give the testimony so necessary to the hopes of her preserver. Madame then said she believed it was not too late to gain admittance that night to the Chatelet and as she knew how anxiously her husband wished to see Adeline, she entreated her consent to go thither. Adeline, though much harassed and fatigued, complied. When Louis returned from M. Nemours, his father's advocate, whom he had hastened to inform of her arrival, they all set out for the Chatelet. The view of the prison into which they were now admitted so forcibly recalled to Adeline's mind the situation of Theodore, that she with difficulty supported herself to the apartment of la motte. When he saw her, a gleam of joy passed over his countenance, but again relapsing into despondency, he looked mournfully at her and then at Louis and groaned deeply. Adeline, in whom all remembrance of his former cruelty was lost in his subsequent kindness, expressed her thankfulness for the life he had preserved and her anxiety to serve him in warm and repeated terms. But her gratitude evidently distressed him instead of reconciling him to himself It seemed to awaken a remembrance of the guilty designs he had once assisted and To strike the pangs of conscience deeper in his heart Endeavoring to conceal his emotions he entered on the subject of his present danger and informed Adeline What testimony would be required of her on the trial? after above an hour's conversation with la motte she returned to the lodgings of madame where languid and ill she withdrew to her chamber and tried to obviate her anxieties in sleep the parliament which conducted the trial reassembled in a few days after the arrival of adeline and the two remaining witnesses of the marquis on whom he now rested his cause against Lamotte, appeared she was led trembling into the court where almost the first object that met her eyes was the marquis de montault whom she now beheld with an emotion entirely new to her and which was strongly tinctured with horror when dubos saw her he immediately swore to her identity his testimony was confirmed by her manner for on perceiving him she grew pale and a universal tremor seized her Jean de Noy could nowhere be found and Lamotte was thus deprived of an evidence which essentially affected his interest Adeline when called upon gave her little narrative with clearness and precision and Peter who had conveyed her from the Abbey supported the testimony she offered The evidence produced was sufficient to criminate the Marquis of the intention of murder in the minds of most people present But it was not sufficient to affect the testimony of his last two witnesses who positively swore to the commission of the robbery and to the person of la motte on whom sentence of death was accordingly pronounced on receiving this sentence the unhappy criminal fainted and the compassion of the assembly whose feelings had been unusually interested in the decision was expressed in a general groan their attention was quickly called to a new object it was jean de Noy who now entered the court but his evidence if it could ever indeed have been the means of saving la motte came too late he was reconducted to prison but adeline who extremely shocked by his sentence was much indisposed received orders to remain in the court during the examination of donois this man had been at length found in the prison of a provincial town where some of his creditors had thrown him and from which even the money which the marquis had remitted to him for the purpose of satisfying the craving importunities of dubos had been insufficient to release him meanwhile the revenge of the latter had been roused against the marquis by an imaginary neglect and the money which was designed to relieve his necessities was spent by Dunois in riotous luxury he was confronted with adeline and with dubos and ordered to confess all he knew concerning this mysterious affair or to undergo the torture. Dunois, who was ignorant how far the suspicions concerning the marquis extended, and who was conscious that his own words might condemn him, remained for some time obstinately silent. But when the question was administered, his resolution gave way, and he confessed a crime of which he had not even been suspected. It appeared that in the year sixteen forty two. Dunois, together with one jacques martini and francis balicre had waylaid and seized henry marquis de montault half-brother to philippe and after having robbed him and bound his servant to a tree according to the orders they had received they conveyed him to the abbey of st clair in the distant forest of Fontaineville. here he was confined for some time till farther directions were received from philippe de montault the present marquis who was then on his estates in a northern province of france these orders were for death and the unfortunate henry was assassinated in his chamber in the third week of his confinement to the abbey on hearing this adeline grew faint she remembered the manuscript she had found together with the extraordinary circumstances that had attended the discovery every nerve thrilled with horror and raising her eyes, she saw the countenance of the marquis overspread with the livid paleness of guilt She endeavoured however to arrest her fleeting spirits while the man proceeded with his confession When the murder was perpetrated Dunois had returned to his employer who gave him the reward agreed upon and in a few months after Delivered into his hands the infant daughter of the late Marquis whom he conveyed to a distant part of the kingdom Where assuming the name of st. Pierre he brought her up as his own child receiving from the present marquis a considerable annuity for his secrecy Adeline no longer able to struggle with the tumult of emotions that now rushed upon her heart Uttered a deep sigh and fainted away She was carried from the court and when the confusion occasioned by this circumstance subsided Jean Donneu went on He related that on the death of his wife Adeline was placed in a convent from whence she was afterwards removed to another where the marquis had destined her to receive the vows, that her determined rejection of them had occasioned him to resolve upon her death, and that she had accordingly been removed to the house on the heath. Dunois added that by the marquis's order he had misled Dubos with a false story of her birth. Having after some time discovered that his comrades had deceived him concerning her death, Dunois separated from them in enmity. But they unanimously determined to conceal her escape from the Marquis that they might enjoy the recompense of their supposed crime Some months subsequent to this period however Donoy received a letter from the Marquis charging him with the truth and Promising him a large reward if he would confess where he had placed Adeline In consequence of this letter he acknowledged that she had been given into the hands of a stranger But who he was or where he lived was not known Upon these depositions Philip de Montau was committed to take his trial for the murder of Henry, his brother. Donoy was thrown into a dungeon of the Chatelet, and Dubos was bound to appear as evidence. The feelings of the Marquis, who, in a prosecution stimulated by revenge, had thus unexpectedly exposed his crimes to the public eye and betrayed himself to justice, can only be imagined. The passions which had tempted him to the commission of a crime so horrid as that of murder and what if possible heightened its atrocity the murder of one Connected with him by the ties of blood and by habits of even infantine association The passions which had stimulated him to so monstrous a deed were ambition and the love of pleasure the first was more immediately gratified by the title of his brother the latter by the riches which would enable him to indulge his voluptuous inclinations the late marquis de montau the father of adeline received from his ancestors a patrimony very inadequate to support the splendour of his rank but he had married the heiress of an illustrious family whose fortune amply supplied the deficiency of his own he had the misfortune to lose her for she was amiable and beautiful soon after the birth of a daughter and it was then that the present marquis formed the diabolical design of destroying his brother the contrast of their characters prevented that cordial regard between them which their near relationship seemed to demand henry was benevolent mild and contemplative in his heart reigned the love of virtue in his manners the strictness of justness was tempered not weakened by mercy his mind was enlarged by science and adorned by elegant literature the character of philippe has been already delineated in his actions its nicer shades were blended with some shining tints but these served only to render more striking by contrast the general darkness of the portrait he had married a lady who by the death of her brother inherited considerable estates of which the abbey of st clair and the villa on the borders of the forest of Fontaineville were the chief his passion for magnificence and dissipation however soon involved him in difficulties and pointed out to him the conveniency of possessing his brother's wealth his brother and his infant daughter only stood between him and his wishes how he removed the father has been already related why he did not employ the same means to secure the child seems somewhat surprising unless we admit that a destiny hung over him on this occasion and that she was suffered to live as an instrument to punish the murderer of her parent when a retrospect is taken of the vicissitudes and dangers to which she had been exposed from her earliest infancy it appears as if her preservation was the effect of something more than human policy and affords a striking instance that justice however long delayed will overtake the guilty while the late unhappy marquis was suffering at the abbey his brother who to avoid suspicion remained in the north of france delayed the execution of his horrid purpose from a timidity natural to a mind not yet inured to enormous guilt before he dared to deliver his final orders he waited to know whether the story he contrived to propagate of his brother's death would veil his crime from suspicion it succeeded but too well for the servant whose life had been spared that he might relate the tale naturally enough concluded that his lord had been murdered by banditti and that the peasant who a few hours after found the servant wounded bleeding and bound to a tree and knew also that this spot was infested by robbers as naturally believed him and spread the report accordingly from this period the marquis to whom the abbey of st clair belonged in right of his wife visited it only twice and that at distant times till after an interval of several years he accidentally found la motte its inhabitant he resided at paris and on his estate in the north except that once a year he usually passed a month at his delightful villa on the borders of the forest in the busy scenes of the court and in the dissipations of pleasure he tried to lose the remembrance of his guilt and there were times when the voice of conscience would be heard though it was too soon again lost in the tumult of the world It is probable that on the night of his abrupt departure from the Abbey The solitary silence and gloom of the hour in a place which had been the scene of his former crime Called up the remembrance of his brother with a force too powerful for fancy and awakened horrors Which compelled him to quit the polluted spot if it was so it is however certain that the spectres of conscience vanished with the darkness for on the following day he returned to the abbey though it may be observed he never attempted to pass another night there but though terror was roused for a transient moment neither pity nor repentance succeeded since when the discovery of adeline's birth excited apprehension for his own life he did not hesitate to repeat the crime and would again have stained his soul with human blood the discovery was effected by means of a seal bearing the arms of her mother's family which was impressed on the note his servant had found and had delivered to him at co it may be remembered that having read this note he was throwing it from him in the fury of jealousy but that after examining it again it was carefully deposited in his pocket-book the violent agitation which a suspicion of this terrible truth occasioned deprived him for a while of all power to act when he was well enough to write, he dispatched a letter to Dunois, the purport of which has been already mentioned. From Dunois, he received the confirmation of his fears, knowing that his life must pay the forfeiture of his crime, should Adeline ever obtain a knowledge of her birth. And not daring again to confide in the secrecy of a man who had once deceived him, he resolved, after some deliberation, on her death. He immediately set out for the abbey and gave those directions concerning her which terror for his own safety still more than a desire for retaining her estates suggested as the history of the seal which revealed the birth of adeline is rather remarkable it may not be amiss to mention that it was stolen from the marquis together with a gold watch by jean d'Aunoy the watch was soon disposed of but the seal had been kept as a pretty trinket by his wife and at her death went with adeline among her cloth to the convent adeline had carefully preserved it because it had once belonged to the woman whom she believed to have been her mother End of chapter twenty three